Would you support StoryCast by simply lifting a finger? Well, you can, right now. And every time you go to shop at Amazon, just go to our website first, storycastpodcast.com, and click on the Amazon banner. Simple as that. Then you shop as normal, and we get a kickback on everything you purchase. Thank you. About four and a quarter light years away, just next door in space talk, there's a star. And it's just right out there, above you every starry night. Proxima Centauri. It's the star closest to our sun. And orbiting that star is a planet named Proxima b, a planet we just discovered in August of 2016. We can't directly observe it. But astronomers at the European Southern Observatory in Chile otherwise made the discovery which has now been confirmed by scientists around the world. And sure, there are billions of stars out there and billions more planets, but what makes this planet, Proxima b, special is that it's right in what scientists call the habitable zone, which means its precise distance from its sun creates rare, cozy temperatures perfect for water in all forms, ice, vapor, and the holy grail, liquid. A place perfect for life and humans, a candidate for home. It's 10 times closer to us than any other potentially habitable planet. And its sun, a red dwarf, means its life is hundreds of times longer than our sun's. So there has been, and will be, plenty of time for biology to take its course. And as we all know with our own world, as time ticks on, life takes hold. As it did once here on Earth. And whether you're an evolutionist or a creationist or anything in between, we can all agree that this place is our home, one way or another. So think of home, your home. Is home a place, an address, your room, your house, your neighborhood, your city, county, state, region, or country? Your continent, hemisphere, planet, solar system, constellation, or even galaxy? What is home, really? Because houses can burn and planets can go extinct. So home can't really be a place. Rather, maybe home is an idea, your refuge, your family, your friends, the place you feel welcome and safe, the place you feel like, well, you. This time on the StoryCast, three very different stories of home, wherever that might be. Chapter 1, Home is Where the Heart Is, story by me, inspired by true events and read by StoryCast contributor Shini Parvez. It must have felt strange as Jenny Stepian peered down at her pretty feet adorned in fancy shoes and painted nails, atop wooden floorboards of that sleepy swiss church foyer. To know that her mother had once stood in that same room, in the same place perhaps, at this same anticipated formative moment, a moment whisked away through fairy tales and little girl slumber parties. 
the moment in which she was to walk down the aisle, pledge her love, and become married to the man of her dreams. And it must have felt strange to know that as just about any blushing bride holds that special moment in her own heart, expecting to appear from behind squeaky, cavernous wooden doors, not by herself, nor with her fiancé, nor friends, nor with just any family, but with her father, the man who brought her into this world, once rocking her, snuggling her, raising her, protecting her, guiding her, now graciously and ceremoniously giving her away in marriage to another man, in the traditional passing of the guard of modern ritual, but not forgetting the idea that every bride might just become daddy's little girl once again in that heart-stopping moment before the big door swings open. Maybe it smelt musty, as old foyers sometimes do, but as a lifetime's recollection of little pink tea parties and bandaged skin knees, late-night cuddles and frosty beers back home from college tell the fleeting little stories of a little girl and her dad, the first man in her life. So it must have felt strange and painful and fortunate and so many other things to Jenny Stepien as she looked up from her pretty feet and into the eyes of the man at her side. Arthur Thomas, because that man was not her father. In fact, she barely knew him at all. And as the doors swung open and the music swelled and the many loved ones swooned to their feet with adoring eyes, Jenny and Arthur surely suddenly found themselves striding forward arm in arm in one of those out-of-body experiences where amassed in overwhelming chaos you simply go through the motions and might just forget the whole thing altogether. But as she made her way onward, there was one thing she couldn't forget. You see, the story really began 10 years prior when Jenny was 23. Her father, a head chef named Michael, was walking home from work and cut across an alley and ran into a terrible human being who robbed him and shot him in the head point blank. Michael would make it to a hospital but soon passed away. But the story took a turn when the family, in shock yet consciously minded, agreed to donate Michael's body for recovery and education. And little could they imagine that just 326 miles away in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, a retired college advisor in his early 60s was lying in another hospital, rapidly dying of congestive heart failure. And even though he was on the transplant list, the matters of placement and timing and luck are so often a death sentence. But as one family grieved a stayed away, another family rejoiced at the news that a heart had become available. A healthy heart that aches to beat and beat and give new life. So when Arthur Thomas survived and recovered and found new life, he wrote a thank you to the family who lost as much as they had given him. One man's sacrifice had become another's salvation. Over the years, the family would exchange emails and cheesy Christmas cards, birthday flowers, and phoned-in parenting advice. But when Jenny got engaged one day and the wedding ideas began, that moment, this moment, down the aisle with the man who gave you life, found new meaning. So as Jenny continued, one foot after another, up to the altar, she clutched the wrist of the man who had said yes to walking a stranger down the aisle. The man whom she had finally met in person the day before the wedding. The man who lived and whose heart her father lived through. And as she held on to Arthur Thomas as a little girl clings to her father, she didn't feel a hand or a wrist or a pulse, but a life. 
a life taken and a life given, and a heart, a beautiful, familiar, loving heart still beating. As the two reach the end of this simple, unassuming walk down an aisle of common floor, Arthur turned to Jenny and placed her hand upon his heart, her father's heart, and in many ways upon her father himself. Because who and what are we after all? Flesh and bone, beating muscle, or an idea, a connection, a love that connects two hearts, beating or otherwise. Chapter two, if these walls could talk. So my dad passed away recently, like just recently, and it changed me. It even changed this episode. And it's really made me think about who we really are when we leave something behind. They say ghosts are a vestige of the past, a lost soul now gone, but with unfinished business here in the realm of the living. Movies and literature depict ghosts as loved ones returning, love lost still yearning, or evil spirits out to get us after something goes bump in the night. But if you conceive that the idea of ghosts are real in any way, shape, or form, well, then you may as well consider the idea of Santa Claus or extraterrestrials or a cure for cancer or multiple sclerosis or own mortality. Because if it doesn't exist, it's not real, right? The earth still wasn't flat even when so many people believed it so. Just as in A Christmas Carol, a ghost visited me just not so archetypical and emblematic and symptomatic. Yet the unexplainable presence of the spirit at such paramount crucibles of my life must add up to something. That as tantamount as a ghost story is to a smirkable fish story amongst the living, maybe, just maybe, these experiences will make you look over your shoulder when you head in to brush your teeth later tonight in the dark, all alone. Because what is this life anyways that we're so sure we have all figured out what is reality anyway, beside the things that we still haven't figured out yet? To boldly go, to seek understanding, to unlock the unexplainable, to find greater meaning, just as surely the world so violently turned over when it was suddenly discovered to not be flat anymore. The ghost visited me at the age of 26. My girlfriend then, now wife, and I moved into an apartment that was actually a framed-in sector of an old mansion built in 1895, complete with original hardwood floors, the wainscoting, the chandeliers, the works. A perfect backdrop for that ominous horror movie getaway that ends up with a knife-wielding demon spawn child creeping up on the unsuspecting pretty girl in her nightgown sleep. But this ghost cared nothing of the sort for such nonsense. She or he or it, as I should probably call it, even took a couple years of us living in that home to reveal itself to us. It was here in this beautiful dwelling that we called home for several years that my future wife and I would start our lives together. Our life for years living there was filled with the cliched laughs and love and the lion's share of figuring each other out before finally jumping off into the unknown of marriage and commitment and family as life goes on. This presence, it took its time in revealing itself to us if it even did at all. Because let's be honest, it was probably nothing at all. No moving orb adorned in Halloween-esque white bedsheet hurling expensive vases across the room to crash into the hearth 
this ghost was innocuous, hilariously dull. And if it was a spirit trap between the netherworlds, I actually feel bad for it because its existence was sad, insignificant, and quite literally trapped between the insignificant veneer walls of our apartment. She, she noticed it one night, she, my now wife, as we cuddled up to watch a movie on an ordinary night in that carefree purgatory of happy-go-lucky free time that you never appreciate until you have children one day. She heard it first, a slow but steady click, 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 and on and on for a minute or two. It was as steady and strong and mechanical as a heartbeat, but with a faintness of an odd metal-on-wood thud that somehow occurred inside your wall. Because that's exactly where it was, between the five or six inches of the 20th century standard building material that politely cordoned off our living room from the mansion's grand entryway. Listen, it's our clicky ghost, she would say. And the ghost was born. Every night or so, sometimes more often, and sometimes not, we'd quiet down to listen to its ticking and clicking as we'd lounge there or walk by or do our taxes or argue all the things young lovers do. And all along every step of the way, our clicky ghost was there, not only alongside us, like watching over us. Almost as if no matter what we did or said or felt, or even if we ceased to exist at all, that our persistent clicky ghost that visited nearly every night would be there. Our clicky ghost clicking away in the wall that was the stable force in our home, unwavering, committed, in sickness and health for richer or poorer, for better or worse, it taught us those constants, the ideas that root all love. And even though the clicking coming from inside the wall was probably just a water pipe or something to do with the aging boiler in the basement or God forbid bad electrical, it wasn't because it was our clicky ghost. And it clicked away the day that we would become engaged to be married and then the day that we were married and when we found out we were expecting a baby boy and the day we moved away, and it probably still clicks to this day. And so we moved apartments and towns and jobs and bought a home of our own and had another child, a girl, and did all those things you do in life to grow up, move on, and follow in your parents' footsteps. But that clicky ghost, it never followed us, as much as I hoped it would. That one night as I rocked my baby girl to sleep, or sleepily trek down the dark hall at night after working late, I'd hear the faintly reminiscent motorized tapping, as if the seminal presence that quite literally adorned the halls of my mid-twenties would return to its constancy, its resiliency, its strength, its power, like an invariable force of strength that we suddenly yearn for and rely upon from the day that we become independent from our parents' guard. When things go away, when people go away, they leave behind the essence of not only who they are. Memories are a given, a cliche, an important, meaningful, nurturing cliche. Yet when the building blocks of our lives suddenly cease to breathe, they simply give breath to many things, the things they held most dear. Because sometimes it takes losing someone or something to realize the strength that they or it brought you the stability and unwavering resolve, the lessons learned, the ghostly hand upon your shoulder that feels like your father's even though he's gone. We all have a clicky ghost, 
We all have a ghost that's not really a ghost, but it is after all, because that's what it is to us. A voice in the night that reminds us who we are, where we're going, and who we're supposed to be. And then we all have real ghosts, because when people go away, people that we love, people who loved us, we simply become their ghosts. Because just like ghosts don't really exist in wooden building frames, people who go away can't really exist in wooden boxes of any kind, really. Because people are never really people. We all just someday become the ghosts of those who outlast us. So remember not to live for yourself, nor for your days. Live for those in your life who will someday become your ghost, and then spend their days doing the same. Chapter 3, Phone Home For this season of the StoryCast, we're going to be trying something different. You hopefully heard the announcement already that all stories you hear here are now 100% original and unique to this show. Well, in addition to that, all season long, each episode will also feature an original song as part of the show narrative, written and performed by yours truly. So season two will, in essence, create a new 10-track musical album. And if you head over to support.storycastpodcast.com, there's an option to support the show this season. And in return, you'll receive that album at the end of the season. So in the meantime, please enjoy this new track, Home. She said, I'm heading out now, maybe make this up as we go. Maybe figure out then just when and how and why and home. So see when the rain comes, we'll any up where this goes. Then if the stars align, well, we'll meet up before it snows. Collateral home. 
same, same, same green eyes, a tired, tired soul. She said, I'm heading out now. Maybe figure out then. So see when the rain comes. Then if the stars align well. And if it all goes bad And if we all grow up And if it's all goes away, way, way And then we never did nothing wrong, wrong But a red in your eyes is always wrapping up on the phone, phone, phone. Let's well, in my life, shot a many, many times before. But if we double down now, then we double, double up collateral hole. We have these same, same, same green eyes, a tired, tired soul. The Storycast is written and produced by me, with help this week from Sheeni Parvez. You also heard music from Helen Jane Long, Greg Maroney, Clint Mansell, and Stefan Macchio. For even more info, see the show credits. The Storycast will be back next month with another chapter of life that tells the story of us through a common thread. So until next time, think, feel, and wonder a little bit more.